0: Oh, Lord, how joyful it's been to sing these confessions to you, uh, that you are the one and only true God, and how much we love you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I pray, God, uh, these confessions and these songs and just our voices, God has been pleasing to you and uh, just even helpful for our own spirits as we approach your word now. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone who you've brought to our our worship service, our church, this morning. These precious, beloved souls. Thank you for everyone who's listening on the live stream. And we pray, God, that uh, this would be a time that's honoring to you and uh, just uh, edifying to us. And may you receive all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. You probably have an idea of what the passage is if you haven't peeked yet. Uh, based on our, our scripture reading and based on some of the songs and everything, but it's Mark chapter 12. Our, our text is verses 28 to 34. I may actually ask you to turn somewhere else uh, briefly uh, before we get into the text, but let me start off by saying that uh, there are many people Professing Christians and non-Christians alike, who will say that the greatest duty of man, okay, the greatest command to man, is to love, to love. That's what we're supposed to do: to love others, to love your neighbor, love everyone. Doesn't matter who they are, right? Be kind, show kindness to all. I mean, didn't Jesus say that? Right, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Didn't he say the golden rule? And do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And many, if not most people today, would say that if there is a heaven, following that command, that basic rule, that principle, is the way to get there. And that's mostly what Christianity says, right? And all religions are basically the same, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism, whatever. God, whoever that is, wants us to love our fellow human beings and treat each other with kindness. They're all saying the same thing. They all lead to the same place. And doing our very best at this, if we are sincere, will earn us, hopefully, entrance into heaven when we die. God himself or herself is love. And he or she is a big and generous and forgiving God. He understands that we tried our best. As Bible-believing Christians, hey, what do we know? What do we know is the greatest commandment in the Bible, according to Jesus? What is it? To love the Lord your God right? with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So one might describe these dear people who believe that loving others is the the great commandment or the great duty. We might describe those dear people as so close yet so far away, which is what I was thinking about entitling the sermon this morning. But I turned it around to being far away so close. Far away, so close. And uh, I decided on that because it seems a bit closer to the spirit in which Jesus tells a man at the end of our passage today in Mark chapter 12. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I take that as a bit more positive than so close, yet so far away. It's more like far away, but so close. This man is a scribe. Right, We've been learning stuff. So let me just say, um, looking at our passage, interestingly, we're going to see that in contrast to all the previous Sanhedrin men, right the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, this particular man, who is himself a scribe, okay, a lawyer, an expert in the Old Testament law, he seems to be at least somewhat sincere or curious, okay, judging by... Jesus' conversation with him here. I'm actually going to read the text now and we'll turn to another passage in a moment. But uh, if you can, please stand with me. I'm going to read the the text. It's Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. And this is the word of God. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Please be seated. So the most important command in the whole Bible is to love God with the fullness of your being and to love others as yourself. And I want to add this quick word here. The implication is this, um, that this is God's standard for getting into heaven in contrast to what Most people believe. So a brief word on that, implying that this greatest of commands is God's standard for getting into heaven. We're going to get into all of that in more detail shortly. But understand this. God's standard for entrance into heaven is is absolute holiness. It's it's total perfection. It's complete obedience and Jesus himself says in Matthew 5:48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He was teaching them that their righteousness needed to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, the most religious people in the land. There's no sin allowed in heaven. Habakkuk 1, says, God's eye is too pure to look upon evil. And suffice it to say, if the greatest command, okay, the first command, the foremost command is to love God with the fullness of your being and to love others as yourself, then doing that perfectly at all times, okay, is the standard of acceptance into heaven, right? And some of you are a little worried here. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10 for a moment. Luke chapter 10. Just to kind of makes it a little clearer, and by the way, this is not the parallel passage to our text in mark twelve today. It sounds similar, but it 's not the same it's a different incident, Luke chapter ten, and uh, starting in verse twenty five okay this is another scribe, another lawyer that comes up to Jesus, and like other people that are described and are Um, told of in the Gospels, he stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? He asked the the billion-dollar question, right? And Jesus says to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? Verse 27, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered what correctly do this and you will live and then that's when he asked well who's my neighbor right but pause there stop there um so jesus says you have answered correctly and he says do this and you will live what does he mean by live it doesn't mean just you'll live well, you'll have a good life, and it'll, be, it'll go well with you. He means eternal life. The question was, how shall I obtain eternal life? He says, do this, love God with your, the fullness of your being and love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. You will obtain salvation. You will get into heaven. <laughs> but of course, God knows that none of us have fully loved God with our entire being And none of us have loved others as we love ourselves, not even for a minute, maybe not even for a few seconds, much less all day, every day, and all the days of our entire lives, which is the standard. So that command is not there to tell us to try anyways, just to do our best. God understands. Just have the right heart. Really make an effort to to be spiritual, and to stay spiritual, and loving, and prayerful, and godly. And if at the end the the balance of the scales tip over in your favor, that you did the best you could under the circumstances, God will then accept you into heaven when you die. To which I say, no, 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 a thousand times, no, that's not the good news. God's standard is perfection because he is perfect. He tolerates no sin. He makes up the rules and not us. So this standard, even this greatest commandment of all, it shows us that everyone has fallen short of keeping God's laws. We're unable to obey God's laws perfectly. And what should that drive us to do? It should drive us to seek God's grace and God's mercy in His Son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. That's the only place that we can go. Galatians 3, verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law, if you're putting yourself under your own standard or under the standard of perfection of God and trying to attain to that, you are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Curses everyone who doesn't obey it perfectly to perform them. Verse 24, Galatians 3, Therefore, the law has become our tutor, our teacher, to lead us where? To Christ. To Christ. So that we may be justified by faith. By faith. In other words, knowing that we would not and could not keep any of the commandments fully, including, most importantly, this one that Jesus says is the greatest of all of them, God sent his son Jesus to rescue us from judgment. Judgment for what? (laughs) For not keeping the commandments perfectly like we were supposed to. And how did Jesus rescue us? By fulfilling the demands of the law every single moment of every single day of his entire life. He loved God with his all. He perfectly loved others as himself. He perfectly kept and obeyed the greatest commandment and every other command of God, all the way to the point in time where we are in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 12, just a few days away from his crucifixion. He kept it all the way to the cross, loving God fully and sinners completely, even as those same sinners were torturing him, mocking him, nailing him, and hanging him, even as the Father's wrath was being poured out on him for sins that he never committed, but he was taking and bearing on our behalf. That's how he saved us. and Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Galatians three thirteen 13-14, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of the Spirit, a.k.a. eternal life, salvation, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit indwelling all who would believe in that good news. And praise the Lord. He is alive, right? We're not like the Sadducees we met last week who didn't believe in the resurrection. We understand, we know, we believe the scriptures and we believe the power of God because we know the God of the Word. So with all that as an introduction, we have three simple points today. And um, I want to make sure that we we get it, all right? So the first, first point is this. Make sure that you believe in and know the right God. And make sure that you believe in and know the right God. Once again in verse 28, and uh, this is verse 28 and 29 and verse 32 and 33, but one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. So this is Jesus with a Pharisees and Herodians who we met uh, last week, last Sunday. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, answers them, as we heard. I won't go over it again. But this scribe recognized that Jesus answered them well. So he asked him the question. As I mentioned earlier, the overall impression of this particular scribe is more positive Than any of the previous questioners. All the other ones were trying to do what? Trap Jesus, right? Test him, trap him, get him in trouble. His hour has come. He's just a few days away from the cross. But very quickly, um, in verse 28 there, it says, recognizing he had answered them well. So it seems this one scribe particularly appreciated Jesus' answer to the Sadducees' absurd inquiry, right? Their ignorance. And at the end of this conversation, in verse 34, what's Jesus' reaction to him? When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. This seems quite significant, to say the least, especially compared to the way Jesus usually confronts and calls out these religious leaders who hate him. So the scribe asks, What commandment is the foremost of all? Hey, which command of God's is the foremost, the greatest, the most important, the first in rank, the chief in importance? What is the greatest of the commands? And just by the way, some of you know that there have been counted by the Pharisees and others 613 commands in the Old Testament and 365 of them are negative, right? Prohibitions, thou shalt not. 365 of them, and 248 are affirmative, positive, thou shalt, okay, do this. Also, the Pharisees made a distinction between heavy and light laws and categories of laws. Some were considered more binding than others uh, in their just kind of hierarchy of things. But in any case, Jesus answers, and he says the foremost, the greatest, is this. He starts off by quoting Deuteronomy 6, which was read earlier. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one Lord. This is a well-known passage uh, to the Jews. It's well-known to some of us. It's known as the Shema because the Hebrew word here is that, Shema. And it's calling God's people to listen and take heed to his word. Every pious Jew would recite this entire passage every morning and every evening. It's described there in Deuteronomy 6 and Numbers 15 and Deuteronomy 11 again. And that ancient custom of beginning the synagogue service, reciting the Shema is still in practice. But this is the important thing. The command for attention is followed by this this affirmation. The Lord our God is one Lord. So one thing that they're confessing as they repeat this, is that there is only one God. And he is the God of Israel. This is Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Okay, another translation says, the Lord our God, the Lord one. In other words, there's only one true and living God. Okay, the, the triune God of the Bible is the one and only Lord. Not only of Israel, but of every nation, of every people, every time, every single individual as well. D. Edmund Hebert writes this, quote, Mark included this affirmation of monotheism. Yahweh, the unchanging covenant Lord, while our God stresses Israel's distinctive relationship to him. This Lord is acclaimed as one, stressing his unity. In the face of prevailing polytheism, this emphasis on monotheism was important for Israel as well as for the Christian church. End quote. So before we get to the next point, I want us to make sure... And I want you to make sure that you, this morning, are currently believing in and knowing the, the right God. There's only one true and living God. We shouldn't miss this. Uh, people can believe in the wrong God, and not everyone who seems spiritual or has a, a loving aura or a transcendent vibe or a lot of positive energy Is actually spiritual. They could be mixed up in demonic worship. They could be mixed up in pagan idolatry. And it comes down to this if you don't believe in the triune God of the Bible, basically the God you believe in is one you've created in your own mind. It's not the God who created you, you've created it. And that's what idolatry is. Making up a God in your own image and putting it above the actual true and living God. So Jesus would say, repent and believe in me. Okay, turn from your, your, your sin of unbelief and your rejection of what God really is and who God really is, and, and listen, hear. The Lord God is one Lord. He is a trinity, a tri-unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, yet one God. So someone helpfully said that you cannot adequately obey the commands of God without first understanding and embracing the person of God. And so we can't even get to the next part without making sure the God that we believe in is the actual right God. And there's only one So that leads us to our next two points, which is those greatest of commands, right? It's love God with your entire being. Love God with your entire being. Jesus follows that with the command to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's the greatest commandment. It's not just love in general. It's not love for others It's not do unto others. It's love God. It's love of God. It's love for God. God is Jesus' very first focus. Our love must be first directed towards Him. And and maybe it's helpful to say here real quick that love for God will always be followed by love for people. But the first has to be there. Otherwise, the second is impossible. So... Let's think about that word for a moment, okay? Agapao. Some of you know that's the Greek word for the verb, right? To love. Do we think of loving God in this way, Christians? Even Faith Bible Church Christians. Um, Because usually we think of that towards one another, right? Agapao. This is unconditional, sacrificial love of the will. It's the way God himself loved sinful people like us. Uh, the scholar Kenneth West, he says, Agapao speaks of that Holy Spirit-generated love in the heart of the yielded saint, a divine love which is due to God from his creatures, not Phileo, which speaks more of a non-ethical fondness. In other words, this love for God is not just a a sentimental feeling or just a, a spiritual vibe. It's not just strong emotions, not merely felt sensations, Although there's going to be very deep feelings towards God, there should be. But that's not exactly what is chiefly meant here with this word. It's one of covenant commitment to God. To love the Lord is to be absolutely loyal and obedient to him in every respect. Right? You remember what Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You'll keep my commandments. So it's not just emotional affection, but more so commitment and devotion. My favorite definition of agapao. I shared this with you in the past, but it's a caring, self-sacrificial commitment which expresses itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Okay, a caring, self-sacrificial commitment which expresses itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. And so, think about that. Okay? Is your love for God? A caring, self-sacrificing commitment. It's always caring about God. Is it caring for God? Is it sacrificing yourself for Him based on Jesus' sacrifice for us? Are we always doing and saying things that show that we want the best for God? We want what is most pleasing to Him? It says there, as we all know, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, Okay, with, X, that's, that's actually out of, out of. In other words, the emphasis on is the source, the source. It's, it's not just simply with our whole heart, but from our heart. It, it, it must arise out of every area of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, notice the whole before each of those, right? For equal emphasis. It's not your whole heart and then a part of your soul and some of your mind and a bit of your strength. It's, it's, it's your whole everything. It's all inclusive, all comprehensive. It's pretty obvious, I think, we know that there's some overlap with all those areas, all those categories of human personality. It's not meant to be a psychological analysis of man's personality. Jesus is talking about wholeness, completeness, full and total love. Okay, but to quickly break it down, we okay, just got to do it, right? Heart, cardia, is the seat of personality. It's the hub of the wheel of man's existence. As Proverbs 4.23 says, the wellspring, the wellspring of all his thoughts, words, and deeds. Soul, suke is the word that, that... Actually, this word has a variety of meanings in the scripture, but basically here, it's the self-conscious life. It's the seat of man's emotional activity. The mind, as we put all this together our rational faculties, okay, but it's not just purely intellectual life, not just our thoughts, but it includes dispositions and attitudes. It's hard to separate thoughts and attitude, right? And then strength, strength, iskus, the entire active powers of man, okay, our might. So again, it's with all of these faculties, all of these blessings that God has given to us, he's the one that has endowed us with all of this, that we are to use... To love Him. To love Him. All combined, all together, to the full. A wholehearted love. Not, not half hearted. So, when I'm thinking of God's fullness and complete love for sinners, for me, for you, consider that He so loved us, so loves the world. Consider His caring, self sacrificial commitment. That sought our best. So that he gives us his son. He gives him. He delivers him over. He does not spare him. Romans 8.32 And the son, out of love for us, lays down his life. There's no greater love than this, right? For John 15.13 So should our love for God be any less? It's impossible to match. Obviously. But listen, Ephesians five one and 2. Listen to this. It says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma I don't know if you've ever put those two verses together the greatest commandment in Ephesians 5 but think about that we care I mean we can and should be that offering and sacrifice to God pleasing to him Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Sinclair Ferguson said, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. Of chief importance, first importance, according to Christ, what God wants most from man is love. Love. God wants us to love him with every fiber of our being, every ounce of our existence, all that is within us, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and with all that is within me, bless his holy name, Psalm 103. Listen, it's possible to obey God without loving him. You know that, right? Maybe based on our own experiences. Maybe based on what we read in the Gospels about the Pharisees and the, the scribes and all these these religious people. But here's the thing, if we do actually love God, obedience will follow. Okay So let me, let me give just some ways, just a few ways, some suggestions that believers can and should express love for God. okay? okay so the, these are going to be pretty evident, but number one is obedience. Obedience, simply doing what he says to do, and don't do what he says not to do. There's so many things, so many sins, so many distractions, so many things that God says clearly in his word not to do them, and yet we continue to do them over and over and over. Right? And then, like, he, he says we're, we're to do certain things. Hey, whether it has to do with church or service or ministry or sharing the gospel or the one and others, hey, do them. Do them and show, indicate your love for God. Second thing is seek, pursue, spend time with Him. Seek, pursue, spend time with Him. Right? If you're not spending time with God, well, what, what, who, who says that you, you love Him? And so, very basically, once again, in the Word, spend time in the Word, hear from the one you love. Learn what his word says. In second Peter three eighteen, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hey, to him be the glory and dominion and honor forever. Right? I mean, how are we going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, in the grace of the gospel? But by by reading and learning and studying and meditating on his word. So spend time with him, prayer. Talk to him. So as we read the word, we hear God's voice, as we pray, we we talk to God. We converse with Him. Pour out our praise, pour out our, our burdens upon Him. Enjoy that sweet hour of prayer. Spend time with God. Third thing, believe Him. Trust Him. Those things that you read in His Word, those things that you hear being preached and taught, those things you hear other believers say about Him, believe Him. Believe His Word. Trust Him. And trust Him not just for the things that, that you're comfortable with, Hey, believe Him for the things that you're not comfortable with. The things that you thought that you knew from your previous unbelieving life and you're bringing into your Christian life. Okay? Believe Him. Believe what His Word says. Okay? Over and above what you think is, is right or what the world says is right. So the fourth thing is this. Talk about Him. Hey, tell others of Him. Hey, I'm not going to take the time, but Psalm 145 like there's like 10 ways that the psalmist describes him declaring and shouting and telling and, and conversing and, and uh, sharing uh, all these great attributes of God and truths about God. Hey listen, spend less time talking about man's ideas and man's wisdom and man's philosophies and man's theories and more time about about what God says and who God is. Talk about him. And lastly here, make him look good with your life. Okay, make God look... You love him? Make him look good with your pattern, your conduct, your behavior, your character. Okay, Our character as Christians is supposed to reflect who God is. That's part of what it means to, to glorify God. We're supposed to display inside and out the character and excellence and glory of God. So loving God above all else shows him to be glorious, not me. Hey, I want people to see Christ in me. As Christians, we want to see Christ. people to see Christ in us so that he would receive the glory. So that's how the greatest commandment and SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, are, 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 are related. As we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are bringing glory to him. That should be the desire of the Christian. So let me give you a few questions okay, um, before we get to our, our last point here. Few questions, um, helpful from from a, a guy named Daniel Aiken, uh, to help evaluate your love for God and for Jesus. Okay, listen, is the Lord the all-consuming passion of your life? Do you have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for the Lord? Are you loyal to your God with an exclusive love? Hey, listen, folks, that means forsaking all other ideas and uh, religious thought and just philosophies of man, right? And and, and just being completely loyal and faithful to God. Number four, do you resist and even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do your Lord harm? Okay, so just things that are out there, do you resist them and oppose them? Anything that seeks to do the Lord harm. Are you zealous to defend your Lord's name and honor? Maybe we want to do that with grace, right? But are you zealous to defend the Lord's name and honor? Okay, as I would my wife. Your wife. Do you enjoy spending time with your Lord? Okay, getting back to the other suggestion there. If you love him, Do you enjoy that time with Him? Do you actually spend time with Him? Once again, I need to press here a little bit because some of us are getting a little lax with our time with the Lord, right? Getting into a pattern of, I hardly ever read my Bible. I hardly ever pray. Do I brag on my Lord to others? Once again, Psalm 145, do you tell others about Him? Have you ever told others that you, you love Jesus. Okay, last one is do you ever, do you talk with your Lord as much as you can? It's, it's in line with spending time with Him. So once again, um, just uh, Aiken here emphasizes that these are not things we do to get God to love us. Okay, there are things I do because I am loved by Him and because I love Him. Right? So dear ones, let us never lose sight of that truth that we don't do these things in order to get God to love us, right? We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. First John four ten. Okay, as we sang and heard in the hymn earlier, "My Jesus, I love Thee." All right. So this leads us to our second greatest commandment, our last point: love others as you love yourself. I didn't give you an insert today. It's just, um, it's just plain as day from the scripture here from our passage, love others as you love yourself. So the, the chronology here, the order that, that Jesus gives, God first, people next, indicates this underlying fundamental truth. We cannot love others until we love God in Jesus Christ. If that sounds redundant, I'm not apologizing, because okay, I'm trying to get this out of anybody's system that thinks that we can actually love other people without loving the right God, without actually loving Jesus Christ, the one true God. And so there's this, uh, there's video clips that are out, okay, popular viral trends that you may have heard of. They're really nice. Okay, sometimes if I, if I watch them, they, they can even make me cry. But these clips of people randomly blessing others, right, either with a, a bunch of money or just a, a, an act of kindness, buying them stuff. Sometimes uh homeless people, like just like buying them a car or something, or giving a, a waitress you know a thousand dollar tip, you know things like that, um they're very touching, and yes they're 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 loving acts, they're acts of kindness, certainly an example of of human love, but remember, Jesus said in John fifteen, "Apart from me, you can do nothing you cannot." actually bear any real true spiritual fruit even love you cannot do real spiritual biblical agape love apart apart from believing in and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ being connected to the true vine people cannot love others truly until they love God in Jesus Christ so once again agapao we come to that word, that Greek word again. So, John MacArthur, he says, it is the purest, noblest form of love. It is volitionally driven. It's the love of choice. It includes emotions, but not primarily about that. It's not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship, end quote. Okay, Because some of those things that people do for strangers, again, I... I I actually I appreciate it. I it's part of me really loves it, but in the end, is it really a caring, self-sacrificial commitment that expresses itself in seeking the highest good of others? And okay, that's becoming our favorite definition of of biblical love, right? Okay, agape is the noun agape, the sanctified love of the redeemed sinner. So uh, I I want us to notice this in this second greatest commandment, right? Um, He says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So for those of you who are English grammarians, that probably bothered you, right? There's no commandment singular greater than these, plural. Um, So it's not a grammatical error because those two commandments are so closely related to each other. Jesus gave this scribe two commandments, even though he only asked for one, but that's how intimately related these two commands are. Okay, all to say, what's the inevitable proof of our love for God? Okay, it's our love for others. It's our love for people. And um, I'm going to add this, even and especially for fellow believers, Okay, Pastor Bill has been teaching through 1 John uh, the last while, and I think brethren there, it's just over and over, okay, just primarily the love he's talking about is love for fellow Christians. 1 John 2, 3, 4, it's, it's in all the chapters, okay? But by broader application, it's love for everyone. We'd be good to be reminded this morning of who your neighbor is, who my neighbor is. For the Israelites, even back in Leviticus 19, which is what Jesus is quoting here when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18, it didn't just mean your fellow Israelite who lived in the same camp area as you, nor did it mean even all fellow Israelites. Because later in the same chapter, and you'd be interested to know this. Leviticus 19 in verse 33 and 34. Here's what God commands. Listen. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. And guess what? You shall love him as yourself. And then he says, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And um, to the man in Luke chapter 10 who asked that very question, right? Uh, we, I, I mentioned him before. He's the one who asked Jesus, how do I obtain eternal life, right? And Jesus tells him, yeah, you've answered correctly. That's when the man tries to justify himself and says, well, then who is my neighbor? And of course, Jesus replies by telling the story of the good Samaritan, right? And part of the lesson there is that even Gentile so-called half-breed Samaritans, which the, the Jews and the Pharisees thought of them as, they are to be considered the neighbor of the Jew. Okay, so when Jesus says part of the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourselves, our neighbors includes everyone, capital E. Not just the family next door, not just the folks across the street in our own neighborhood. It means everyone. No distinction of ethnicity, of class, Of color, social status, Gentile, Jew, slave, free, man, woman, rich, poor, Christian, non-Christian, love your neighbor as yourself. Interestingly, going back to Leviticus 19 again, um, maybe you want to turn there for a moment. Leviticus chapter 19 Verse eighteen is what Jesus was quoting once again. We can see some principles from God's commands there in the surrounding context, the verses leading up to love your neighbor. Okay, among other things, loving your neighbor, as it's kind of being spelled out here for the Israelites, it meant that they will. Verse ten, care for the poor and the needy. I'm not going to read them all, but uh, verse eleven, to love your neighbor is not to steal or cheat against them. Also in verse eleven, not to lie. In verse 14, to regard the, the handicapped, especially the deaf and the blind, with respect. Verse 15, um, to, not, to, to deal justly with both the rich and the poor. So don't be partial to the poor. Don't be partial to the rich. Treat everyone equally. Verse 16, avoid slander, defaming the reputation and name of um, others. Verse 16, don't jeopardize your neighbor's life. Verse 17, don't hate your brother in your heart. Okay, so loving your your neighbor means just not only outward actions or speech, but even in your heart. Verse 17, also rebuke your neighbor when it's needed. And this is for his or her good. And verse 18, don't take revenge or bear a grudge against your neighbor. Right, so today we can apply those things in principle by the overall command that Jesus gives. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul reiterates in Romans 13, verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so again, a caring, self-sacrificial commitment which expresses itself in seeking the highest good of others. Is this my life? Is this your life? Are you seeking the highest good of the people that God has placed in your life. So let me tie all of this in with one more passage which might be the biggest challenge to to most of us especially when we try to apply it in real life. we, We all love those who love us, right? At least most of the time. Sometimes we even have trouble with that. But what about the rest of the people? Especially in this Media age, in this age of social strife and political division and overall just superficiality, superficial relationships. And I'll preface it with uh, something that has come up in the news recently. Our California governor, Governor Newsom, he had billboards put up across the country, especially in red states, saying that if you needed an abortion, this is what those huge billboards are saying, if you need an abortion, come to California, we're here to help, right? So that's bad enough, but on some of those billboards, he also had this very verse written out on it, Mark 12, verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And um, he left the these in there. And this is, again, the the great mistake of uh, many, 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 many people. They they forego the first commandment, which is actually the first and greatest and most important, to love God first, and then you will know how to love others. And so it's hard to express how abominable uh, this was when when I heard about it. Um, Using Scripture to justify, um, yeah, helping women uh, put an end to the life of their unborn babies. This is, uh, this is an abomination. It's horrific. It's abhorrible. Um, it's of the devil. It's satanic. Uh, I can hardly think of anything worse. But then the words of Christ come to mind, and maybe you want to turn there with me. Luke chapter 6. The words of Christ once again. And uh, as we add to the, what we've heard, the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Luke chapter 6. What does Jesus say in verses 27 and 28? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who who mistreat you. Drop down to verse 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, unbelievers, do the same. And then he says in verse 35 But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So I got to ask myself my loving my neighbor as myself, my loving my enemies, hey, whether it's the government or otherwise. Hey, we just This can be applied in so many ways. Some of you are having a tough time with people at work who you regard as your enemies. Some of you are having a tough time with people in your family, maybe even your own siblings, maybe your parents, maybe your children, maybe there are other distant relatives who you have a strife with. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who do you wrong. So as abhorrible as just those billboards are and what the powers that be and our governor himself has done, me wanting to obey my God, the Lord that I love, should be compelled to have compassion on this person a holy hatred for sure and yet and yet mercy and yet a heart that that understands because i know the scriptures that this person is depraved he's under the the powers of darkness he's a son of disobedience he believes in the father of lies and so he actually thinks that offering abortions to women and to to to, to bring them to california um, is 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 loving them, is loving our neighbor as ourself. That's what he actually believes. And so I need to have love for even a person like that. And there's m- many, many, many people that that think like that, and there's others in our lives that we're just we're just having a hard time loving. And the thing is, if you love God, that that's His command to you, and it's not to be scoffed at or taken lightly. It's time to do a, a heart evaluation and a gut check. Okay, this could be our, our very own family members who are having a difficult time actually loving. So I want us to be aware, once again, dear church family, okay, of the the danger of religious hypocrisy. Okay, so if we're so against the, all these things that the world is you know preaching and teaching and and which we should be to the point where we. We're, we're, we're treating others with malice in our hearts. Our mindset towards people who do these kind of things is, is not love, but it's, it's judgment. It's malice. It's hatred. And we, we, we don't think to, to pray for them as God commands so clearly. We don't think to try to do some act of kindness towards them to, to win them with the gospel and to share the love of Christ. And we are in danger of becoming religious hypocrites This is what Jesus um, so condemned the, the Pharisees for, right? You hypocrites, woe to you. Let us be very, very careful of that, dear church. He expects us to love our neighbor, everyone, even our enemies. So love for our neighbor will flow forth, and I'll read it this time, from our love towards God. In 1 John 4, Verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So let me conclude with this. And this is something that I was taught a long time ago, but I think it's worth repeating. Regarding all the Old Testament commands, all 600 plus commands, however many there are exactly in the Old Testament they are an expression of either loving God or loving people. Okay? So, so one can say that the Ten Commandments, which we all know, are a summary of all of those 600 plus commands. Okay? The first four are vertical, expression of a love for God, and the last six are horizontal, expression of love for people. And the greatest commands then can be condensed and summarized even further with what we've come upon today. The two greatest commandments. Love for God with your entire being and love for others. Jesus said in the parallel passage, Matthew 22, verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Right? So that is scriptural proof and evidence for that summary I just gave you. To fulfill these greatest commands is to fulfill all the others. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. He wasn't just talk. He did it all the way to the uttermost, he loved us and loves us still. I want I want you to ponder this question this week today: hey, Do you truly, sincerely love God? Is your life is your life Would somebody be able to charge you with that indictment that you truly, sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ? And I want to encourage you by saying that keeping this greatest commandment, these two, turns out to be the way towards our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction and delight and fulfillment, and the, the utmost glory to God. This is what we exist for, people, okay? to love, serve, worship, and glorify God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word and the truths that we've heard today. And I pray that we would really consider them, God, to take time, whether it's later this afternoon or in conversation during our luncheon or um, just in our own private time at, at home. God, I pray that your truth would stir us continue to transform and change us, and let us remember how much you loved us and that it is that love, love that Jesus had for us, which would compel us to no longer live for ourselves but to live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Thank you so much, God, for sending your Son that we might live for you. And we pray these things in his strong name. Amen.